Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. Welcome back, everyone, to the 157th episode of the Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. Before we get into this episode, I want to talk about Chapter 6 from my upcoming book, Dial Up the Dream, Make Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood, The Best for Both of You, which will be released into the world May 3rd. Chapter 6 is called The Setback. The setback is when your daughter has a significant setback in her life. We hope that our daughters will have perfect progress when they graduate from high school, that they will get amazing grades in college, have a solid group of friends, date a great guy, get the perfect job when they graduate. We have this idealized view of success, and then we feel like complete failures if their future isn't perfect. But the truth is, Our daughters will make progress, but it's not a straight arrow towards success. It is a jagged and very up and down with sometimes roadblocks and significant setbacks. When our daughters first leave home, we have lots of hope and also lots of fear. Eventually, we let the fear go or get used to it and are able to engage in our own life. And then we get the call. And what she has to tell us isn't her usual boyfriend drama or dented car or sin money issue. It's more significant than that. A serious accident, a consequential failure, a grave mistake, an illness, a crime against her. Significant enough to change her life. This significant setback hits us like a lightning bolt through our nervous system. The glide path we thought our child was on has hit turbulence, bad, upending our expectations and crashing our daughter's life into uncertainty. We worry for her future. We want nothing more than to jump in and put her back on that certain path. The setback is really tough on a mother's heart. Oh, oh my goodness. We want to dive into our daughter's life and rescue her. So what is the mom's role here? Well, it's complicated. And that's what this chapter is about. Setbacks can be minefields for mom and daughter relationships, but it also can strengthen your relationship with your daughter, bring healing and open new opportunities. And what I will tell you is that you do have a significant role to play here. Please join me May 5th for my Dollop the Dream online event. When you pre-order my book, I will give you a free ticket to this online event. Come and be with other like-minded mothers who want more for their relationship with their daughters. Not only will I talk about setbacks and how to navigate through them, I will also have fun guests, giveaways, The Dollop the Dream online event is going to encourage you, energize you, and give you practical takeaways for this emerging young adult daughter. Sign up now at dollopthedream.com or go to colleenogrady.com and put May 5th on your calendar. The episode today is an important one, but it's hard. It's important because it's the awareness you need to keep fighting the phone and everything online battle with your daughter or your son, with hopes to keep them safe, but especially your daughter. Our guests today are Andrea Perry and Jeff Keith. They both work at Guardian Group. 
They're both committed to reducing human trafficking. Human trafficking isn't just stealing your daughter away from your home and disappearing. It can happen in your home. And this was eye-opening for me. Our teens don't just need us to monitor their time. They need us to monitor what they are doing and who they're talking to when they're online. In this episode, we talk about the important conversations that you need to have with your teens to keep them safe. Andrea Perry received her degree in psychology from California Polytechnic State University in 2009. Post-college, her efforts were focused in the adolescent counseling sector, working with youth in multiple different capacities. In 2015, she was introduced to Guardian Group and the efforts to prevent and disrupt trafficking. With a passion to make a difference in this world and help young people, she began volunteering and later joined the team full-time. Jeff Keith, founder and CEO, started his anti-trafficking work in 2004 while working with global anti-human trafficking organizations and researching best practices in the fight against human trafficking in the United States. During his research, Jeff recognized an opportunity to significantly reduce human trafficking in the United States by providing focused training, directed networking, better resource coordination, and innovative anti-trafficking technology, and thereby founded Guardian Group. So welcome, Jeff and Andrea. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. (laughs) So the first question I ask all my guests is, do you have kids? And if so, what are their ages? I've got two wonderful kids and another one. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, heard, I heard a comedian say that once and I, I kept that. But yeah, we, I've got three amazing, three amazing kids, twin, 15-year-old boy, girl, twins, and huh? uh, an 11-year-old daughter as well. Okay, great. Great. Yeah. And I have a little girl that's going to be two in May. So I'm in the toddler trenches right now. <laughs> Oh, okay. Great. Awesome. So can you tell me a little bit about how y'all got involved with Guardian and Jeff, you founded the organization. So can you talk about that? I did. Back in in the early 2000s, I was actually helping oversee some trips to other countries and looking at some really hard problems, one of them being human trafficking and, and seeing human trafficking happening firsthand when you meet Girls as young as nine, 10 years old, it's hard to get that out of your, your mind and your heart. Mm. And it changed, changed my life. It changed my wife's life to be able to really go after, you know, helping those that can't necessarily help themselves. And fast forward a few years, um, looking at what it looked like here in the United States. You know, what is it happening? Who's working on this? How are we working on it? And realize pretty quickly that it's it's a growing problem. It was this, I think the second fastest growing crime in the United States and the most lucrative. Mm. So we had talked with you know and I met with and interviewed and and just met with a lot a lot of people. And one of them was a detective at a police department, and he said that the gangs and and groups were actually going away from selling drugs to selling girls, mm. and that's how lucrative it was. And so we realized pretty quickly, like we, I think we could do something to help. And we, we started Guardian Group back in 2010 with the intention of being able to help and come alongside law enforcement on finding the victims, finding the girls and boys who are caught in this 
Alongside that, we also do some training and very specific and specialized training with the different sectors that intersect this, hospitality, healthcare. Uh, we do train law enforcement. We do train first responders. And so there's, it's kind of a two-pronged approach to this. We have an offense and a defense. And I feel like we've, you know, over the last few years, we've done a really good job at understanding what we do and how we bring something to the table that's really unique but we don't pretend like we, we do it all. There's a lot of great groups out there that are doing some anti-trafficking. So they talk about, you know, more an awareness. And then there's a lot of groups that are, and people involved with the aftercare and helping girls that have, you know, gone through this and the survivors that are coming through this. And they're experts at that. We're not experts at that. And we're not pretending to be, but we're really good at doing what we do. And that's helping find victims walking alongside and, and working with other groups to be force multipliers with like law enforcement. Mm. Andrea? Yeah, so a million years ago when I was growing up, someone made a comment to me and I have no idea if this is true, but the town I grew up in had the In-N-Out Burger on the way to the Tahoe Ski Resorts. And somebody said, there's always a victim of trafficking in this In-N-Out because it's right off of 80. I was like, what? But that mm. stuck with me forever. And then fast forward years down the road, I heard Jeff speak. And I had never heard of an organization that had this really proactive, unique approach to fighting this crime. You know, they weren't reactive, which so many organizations that need to be. We need people that are going to advocate for these girls. But Guardian Group had this very proactive approach. And I was really drawn to that and was like, what do I got to do to help this guy? So harassed him, ran a social media account until he finally gave me a job. <laughs> and <laughs> I've been here ever since, but it's just something that once you learn about it, you can't unlearn. And it became something that I was, you know, willing to, to dedicate all my time to helping. Yeah, I'm really glad that y'all are with us today because I think we hear human trafficking and we know it's a problem, but we don't really know when I say we, a lot of us, a lot of moms know it's a problem, but we don't know exactly to what extent. And we know it's terrible, but y'all are up close and personal and you really know what's going on. So first, could you define what you mean by human trafficking? Yeah, so technically by law, human trafficking is the use of force, fraud, or coercion to obtain some kind of labor or commercial sex act with the one caveat that if somebody, if the victim is under the age of 18, then you don't need to prove forced fraud or coercion because a minor can't consent to sex. Forced fraud and coercion are just the different tactics that traffickers use to maintain and manipulate their victims. They use all these different psychological tactics or physical violence, things like that to gain control and then force their victim into performing some kind of sex act or labor trafficking as well, which we do not specialize in labor trafficking. Um, we specialize in sex trafficking, but that's the definition. And I think where things get wrong is people see movies like Taken or Pretty Woman and they expect it to look a certain way and they expect it to only happen overseas. And it's really happening here in everyone's backyard at a pretty rampant rate. That's true. That is a misconception that it's happening to girls in foreign countries, but it doesn't happen over here in our country. Yeah, it's happening yeah. all over our country. <laughs> yeah. So how do traffickers target teens? So there's a couple different tactics that they use. 
the main thing that they're looking for is some kind of vulnerability. So, you know, we see kids that have been in the foster care system or have run away or have experienced some kind of child abuse. They have more vulnerability to this type of predator to spot them, but they are targeted either online or in person. Um, if a trafficker is looking for someone in person, they're looking for some kind of vulnerability. And years ago, we had the opportunity to talk with a trafficker that had just been released from his sentence. We said, how do you know? Like, how can you spot a vulnerability on the street? And his method was to go up to a group of girls and say, wow, you're beautiful. And the one that looked down or got insecure or blushed or like he could sense that uncomfortableness in her, he knew that she was more vulnerable and he could break her. So that's how he did it in person. He hung out where kids hung out and he just looked for these different signs of like lower self-esteem and things like that. Online, there's a lot of different methods that they'll use. Again, they're looking for a vulnerability. So let's say that, you know, your daughter posts on her Instagram account or her Facebook account, you know, I hate my mom. Okay, well, that gives a predator an opportunity to connect. I hated my mom too. I don't need her. Look how good I'm doing. I can help you. Come hang out with me. They're looking for some way that they can fill a need or connect on an emotional level, something like that. They may send 100 direct messages out and the message may be, hey, can you help me? And they just need a couple different young people to respond and say, yeah, I can help you. What do you need help with? They use different methods, but the main thing is that they're looking for some kind of vulnerability that they can capitalize on. Is there one main social media outlet that they choose? No, I don't think we can safely say that. And Jeff, you can agree or disagree with me, but I think any kind of game or social media or online way that someone can connect with someone, traffickers can use. In 2020, the majority of cases that were prosecuted on the federal level, I think it was 59%, those victims were recruited on Facebook. But besides that data, there's no data that shows one over the other. So yeah, probably just then, go ahead, Jeff. And then with, with COVID happening, now all of a sudden you've got everybody at, you know, the, the kids at home online a lot more. And so people can, you know, these traffickers, these, these predators were out there full force because they know that they can lure girls that are at home. Cause now all of a sudden, instead of having, you know, a two hour time frame, say we have a guideline in our house and you get two hours online, all of a sudden they're online pretty much all day because they, Oh, I'm doing school. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. You don't want to take that away from them. But on the other hand, it's re- it was really easy to see those numbers move up because of, Kids were online all the time. Like what ages are they targeted? Like what, what's a typical age, ethnicity? Well, you talked about them being vulnerable, but what, like what ages are we talking about? So the average age of entry into this is between 12 and 15. Mm. And having daughters, you know, somewhat this age, you could see why. You know, they're impressionable and they're, they're seeking certain things from friends or from just from people, but it also goes across, and I know Drake could speak into this even more, but it goes across all ethnicities. And, and yes, there are some more at risk, people that don't have as much money. You know, there's a lot of different factors that come into play, you know, location, you know, where do you live, single parents and foster kids. And, but ultimately everyone's at risk of this. All kids are at risk of this, especially if we 
as parents don't enter in to their lives, you know, and that's, I know we'll speak about that in a little bit, but unfortunately we've normalized a lot of the bad, especially having COVID come in. Um, there's a lot of distrust happening. Kids are having a hard time thinking about what's right and wrong. And I think some of that's over those last couple of years. Some of it's just our culture, but getting back to the place of what's, what's normally right and wrong. Sometimes that has to be brought in as parents. Our family's trying to do a good job of that. And I'm not saying we, we're succeeding, but even that, we, we have a hard time with our kids understanding what's right and wrong because the culture and everything around them is telling them opposite. There was a study that came out from a group called Thorn that did a study on kids, I think between nine and 11. And 21% of these kids said it was normal to share a nude with somebody else, nine, nine to 11. And then 50% of those actually did some, I think 41% of those who did also did it to somebody over 18. So there's a sense of normalcy that, and I, you know, as we talk with our kids, that's definitely true. What's normal today is totally different than what was normal years back. And so we're trying to get back to this place of what is normal What's right and wrong? We don't have a manual on our, each one of our kids. <laughs> when they were born, they didn't come with a manual. So we're trying to learn that. So, yeah, Jeff, how do you educate your kids about human trafficking? What do you tell them about it? Well, my wife and I are both involved in this. So she, she runs her own group. I run ours. We talk about it more, you know, than normal people. <laughs> but it's normal. At a certain age, they're getting taught this aspects of it in school anyways. So let's come alongside and, and make the conversations. Being a parent is being also a resource to them. I don't want just everybody else in this world teaching my kids on how to be a kid and how to be an adult. We get to enter into that. So whether it's just little things that we do as, as families, you know, once COVID happened right off the bat, every night when we eat together, we had a Thanksgiving journal. We said, if we're going to do one thing, we're going to do it well. Let's be thankful. You know, it's like there's so much going on in this world, especially in the last couple of years, that let's come up with one thing that you're thankful for today. And we would keep this journal. Times around the dinner table allow us just to talk, obviously, after you're done eating, because you don't want to be talking about some of this hard stuff while you're eating. But just having those conversations, what it means to have appropriate conversations with friends online. What is sexting? What are some of these indicators that are out there? They're not aware of, honestly speaking, until somebody like us as a parent or somebody in our field come in and say, hey, have you seen this? Is this something that you know you see with your friends? But in reality, they're saying it's happening to them. And so it opens up this discussion points with them just to be honest not to be ashamed of things like if they, you know, have somebody reach out to them that ends up not being a real person or a real friend. Within probably two weeks of us giving our kids phones, we gave it their phones last year. We waited longer than most, but within a couple of weeks, I noticed a guy that was not my daughter's age reach out to her and he ended up being a dude that was three times her age in another mm -hmm. city, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, and that's me. And we know what to look for. Now, can you imagine if you don't know what to look for? So part of it is having some some ground rules in place and talking through why we have those ground rules versus just being over the top 
authoritarian and, and saying, hey, this is this is going to happen. But we really talk through that. Yeah. So do you consider human trafficking like the sexting, the videos, anything online? Is that human trafficking or is that a different category? I think it's a it's a very gray line. So like when Jeff's talking about, you know, getting a kid to send somebody that's over 18 a nude, it's very easy for that to be now the tool that the trafficker is going to use and saying like, okay, I've already gotten them to do this. So now I'm going to send that photo or that video that you sent me to everybody in your circle, to your parents, to your, you know, teachers, to your schoolmates, if you don't go do this other thing. And there's so much shame attached to that, but that's that coercion tactic where, you know, now the trafficker has this thing that he can use to get them to commit some kind of sex act in person, not just something that they've sent via video. So I think it's about almost 50% of trafficking victims report that they were also forced to make porn at some point. So these things are so interwoven that it's technically two different things, but it's they're so closely tied that I think we would almost put them in the same category. But getting them to send that photo, send that sext, makes it so much easier for them to control later. Mm. If you're in the mind of these offenders, like what are their tactics? Yeah, as far as like, like how, how, they, how they groom the girls. Yeah. So a lot of what we see is what's referred to as a Romeo pimp. And this offender is super narcissistic, really manipulative, but he approaches a young girl with a boyfriend type of lure. You know, he offers to do things for them, buys them gifts, things like that. He's trying to woo them. And when we're talking about someone, you know, in this 15-year-old category, right, they want love, they want acceptance, they want a boyfriend, they want to be popular. And also their brain's not all the way developed. So this logical decision-making, it's not there yet. Um, You know, they're running all their decisions on their emotions. And so it's really easy for this type of romantic lure to work. So I'll just give you an example. Um, I have a good friend that was trafficked by a Romeo pimp, and she was trafficked much later. She was trafficked in her 20s, college-educated, good parents, everything like that. And she met her trafficker on a dating site. And he you know, would take her to dinner and her previous boyfriend, they were in college and they would go to Taco Bell and the dollar movie theater and split the bill because they had no money. And so when this guy would take her and buy her a whole meal, that really worked. You know, he started to gain this kind of emotional connection and this trust with her. And then he used that to manipulate her later. Mm. So it's a lot of this emotional connection and then how they can use that to control down the road. Jeff, do you want to add something to that? There's one of the things I think good for everyone to know, too, is we actually do a really good job of keeping some good resources on our website. So guardiangroup.org. So this is a lot to hear, you know, from this is actually really happening, you know, and then it's this shock factor that it's happening. And then, you know, then people want to know more. And then there's it's one of the things that we realize is that we have to be kind of a a place to have that houses good information on what's really happening and how it's happening. So go to guardiangroup.org. That's not a, just a plug about guardian group, but it really is some, some good, good information on that. Trafficking happens every city that happens and how it happens, 
whether like Dre said, online or in person, it's sometimes unique to that person that's being targeted. That's why we're, we have to do a good job of, of going back to parenting and helping our kids to see, you know, just having open conversations with them if they're ultimately being targeted or lured. There's a lot of things out there online that we're never going to be up to speed on everything. So it goes back to that. And I just bring that back up just because it's a personal thing. I've got girls at that age. And so we could say, hey, this is how it happens. These are all the indicators. This is, you know, to be careful of. And then and then all of a sudden we live in this life of fear, you know, as parents versus like really having a deep conversation with our kids, having an open conversation with our kids, having certain guidelines in place. So there are certain like, unfortunately, there are certain things that we have access to that I don't have a lot of friends that have kids that they do. You know, there's a lot of them, unfortunately, just let their kids just have a free for all when it comes to online, anything, phones, uh, Internet. There's and I, I'm pretty shocked, actually. It's like giving your, your keys to a car and just say, hey, have fun, go after it. And that's kind of what we've done, you know, and we're starting to see some of those ramifications of having that with things online and giving kids phones and access to the Internet and things. So there are certain things that we as a family and as a result, people, friends have asked, hey, what do you guys do? And we are able to share that certain things like, you know, if you have an Apple phone, there's called family sharing. Family sharing is great. There's a lot of things that you could do to to limit certain things, block certain things. How our routers also at home have parental guidelines and, and certain setups that you could do to, to have some kind of a, another layer of protection on that. And then there's a couple of websites. I'm, we don't get paid by these websites <laughs> whatsoever. I'm going to plug them is Life360 and mm-hmm. Bark. Mm-hmm. So Life360 is more of a location sharing app. You get to see where your, you know, your kids are real time. And then Bark, it just monitors. And you set those certain you know, parameters up where it just monitors everything that comes in and out of their phones or their accounts, whether messaging or apps. And it's everything from bullying to sexting and everything in between. And so and it barks you and it says, okay, hey, these are things that you want to have a conversation with your kids about. Yeah. And then it lets you see what it is. So anyways, we do have those parameters. And I think that's for us. If you ask our kids, they would say they hate them. <laughs> but one day they will say thank you. But until then, there's just some guidelines and some ground rules that I think we as a community need to start having with, with, with our kids if we're going to parent the way we should. For the moms out there, how can they warn their kids about this? Like, I want some details, like instead of just like having conversations, like what can they say? Like, how can they make their kids, their daughters more wise? I think if the girls kind of know these tactics or watch out, here's what you can say, here's what you can do. That will be really, really helpful because I think these girls get stuck with, they kind of, they kind of feel shame because they might have sent the picture or they don't know what to do or they, or they received a picture, but the trafficking is a whole nother level. So what can parents say specifically to warn their daughters or sons about this? I think if we're talking about something that's in person, one of the most important things you can teach your young person is to look an adult in the eyes and to have confidence. 
you know, to answer someone's questions, to be, even if you don't feel confident inside, but to just look them in the eye and answer their question. We've heard from traffickers and from different predators that if a girl appears like she's going to be too hard to deal with, like she's confident in herself. She is, I do not want to deal with that. That's enough of a deterrent, right? There's so many different vulnerable young people that a girl that's eluding that, even if she's not feeling it inside, that's enough to kind of deter them. So the more we can instill this confidence, you know, and teaching kids to look adults in the eyes when they respond, that may be enough to deter. So that's kind of a tactical approach that they can take. Also teaching our young people to listen to their gut, you know, encouraging them that, hey, that's in you for a reason. If something about that message you got online feels funky, you know, say something to a trusted adult. If you don't trust your parents, okay, tell a teacher at school, you know, who is it in your life that you can tell? But really teaching them that like to listen to that gut and that intuitiveness that's within them that, you know, it's there for a reason. If something's not right, then say something to whoever that trusted person is in your life. I think that's the two tactical things I would add to this conversation. And what about the online stuff? One of the things is to keep having kids keep their information private. Profiles should be private. Accepting friend requests from someone they don't know. Having that online presence is really important. It is a private thing. Once you start opening that up, now you're opening up those people that literally come into your home. I found that firsthand of a 35-year-old guy trying to do that with my 14-year-old daughter. Mm. So there are certain things that you can observe as a parent too, you know, is there, unfortunately, if they've gotten involved more, there would be more of an influx of cash. They would be dressing different. They'd be using certain terms like boyfriend or daddy. There are certain things that all of a sudden you as a parent, and that's why, you know, the more you understand what trafficking is and some of these indicators, once you start understanding those indicators and you hear something, it's just like, whoa, that's a flag. And then if another one comes up, like, wow, that's another one, I should probably jump in and at least just talk to my kids or their friends or whoever. So there are certain things that are very specific, like you said. If I saw my daughter have more cash laying around, if she started talking about a boyfriend or, or daddy, or she started just dressing more provocatively, certain things that I would definitely think that there's something more going on. Hopefully we can intercede before that ever happens. So having those conversations, but also giving them tools that they need to have those healthy relationships. Ultimately, it's about understanding the difference between a healthy relationship and an unhealthy relationship, a way to view themselves in a healthy way versus an unhealthy way. You know, so that's that we're trying to help steer them towards that. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of great models of what it is to be in a healthy relationship in the culture. We have to talk about that. What are those characteristics of a healthy relationship? What does a real boyfriend-girlfriend situation look like in today's world too? You know, so, cause like I told you before, it's like the, their normalcy level is kind of a little bit off right now. We just had a conversation with my daughter you know, last night and just hearing about what is very normal in today's world. It's kind of surprising to me. Yeah, um, It was stuff that I wouldn't even talk about with my girlfriend when I was mm-hmm. in my 20s. You know, now that stuff's being talked about at a much earlier age. Yeah. I was going to say something, but it might embarrass Jeff, so I'm not going to. <laughs> what, about um, my first kiss? Yeah. 
on his wedding day. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't, it wasn't my first kiss. It was our first kiss. What we did. Yes, we definitely. Yes. That was, so I don't want to say our kids have to wait until they're married to have (laughs) their first kiss, but I wouldn't mind. (laughs) I do want to add one other thing that you can, you know, help your young person understand is teaching them what's an okay thing to post on their profile versus what's not. So posting, you know, all their heart and soul online, that's not safe. That allows someone to find a way to see some kind of vulnerability, like we talked about and find a way to connect. So, you know, not posting your emotions and how you feel about school or your parents or, you know, whatever, that doesn't allow a predator to find a way to connect. As easily. So not posting their heart online. I think another thing too, for parents that an area to get concerned is, you know, so let's talk about Instagram, for example, you know, people are commenting on this public facing profile. Everyone can read that comment where we get more concerned is when that goes into the direct message, what's being said like behind that wall now to that girl from that random person. That's where parents need to be looking a little bit more heavily is what's being said that not everybody can see whatever that is on each app you know they all have a direct message type of option so yeah that's smart I think a lot of the stereotype like y'all said before that the girls are stolen and they're taken somewhere but kind of what y'all are talking about is they can be trafficked when they're in your room or in their house right when they're going to school so you definitely have that happening too um, somebody could be going to school during the day and then being sold for sex at night. It's 55% that report they were still attending school while they were being trafficked. So it's very different than this kidnapped white van, scary, you know, snatched off the street stereotype that we all have in the back of our head. Um, it's very much the predator is coming in to your home, most likely through the internet, and they're getting your child to do things. Mm. Yeah, I had one guest talk about like we used to think when our kids were home and in their rooms that they were safe or even in their bathrooms that they were safe. I mean, this is such a crazy culture. You're not safe even in your home. No. And then you throw in the whole geolocation. So a lot of our our smartphones and the pictures that we have and and certain posts that we have that we throw out there literally have a geolocation on it. So if somebody wanted to, they could find out where that photo was taken, where that post was made. So that's why we're really cautious about having anything out there with our kids and having them share stuff as well. So once you, and once you share something, that's very specific too about, you know, letting our kids know that once they put something out there, it's Mm -hmm. out there. You can't pull that back ever. Right. So what have you learned from these girls that you have been able to rescue? I think one of the biggest things we've learned. And I just want to clarify, we help law enforcement recover girls. Okay. Um, what, yes. We don't, yeah, we don't <laughs> do any, we, but we always have this because we're all, well, the majority of the team is retired military. So there's this, you know, perception of us kicking indoors and we don't do that. We help law enforcement do that faster. But I think one of the biggest things we've learned is everyone has a different story and that's what makes this crime so hard to recognize and so hard to combat is Every single trafficker has their own unique style of manipulation. Like there's definitely some, you know, patterns that we see, but they all have different stories and they all have different things that made them a target. And I think that just further reinforces that, you know, people don't know what to look for. And if, and it's hard, 
to even give you like every possible scenario. I think that's one of the biggest things that we've learned from them is that one, they want people to be searching when they're in the life, when they're being exploited, they feel hopeless. And so knowing that there's people out there that are looking for them is good to know. So the more people that know the indicators to look for, the more hope, you know, survivors can have, but they all have their own story. It's hard. It's hard to combat this crime. Yeah. So in terms of some skills that girls need is to be able to look an adult in the eye, to trust their gut. I think a good conversation moms could have with their kids is how would you know if you're being manipulated, helping them wise up about that? What other skills do girls need or these young people need? That's just an amazing question. I think having the skill to be able to be a a strong woman, like you're saying, like being able to show that. One of the things that we have, as we've talked to some of these traffickers in the past and, and predators, some of them were actually looking at elementary school playgrounds, being able to identify the girls by the time that they were coming into junior high, that they were going to target them because they could see that they were broken, abused, and they would be the easy targets. Mm. And so it's just the reality behind it. So when they became of, you know, 12, 13, 14, they were a lot easier to get than somebody that came from a place that parents and family were pouring into that child and encouraging them and and being very proactive and helping that person to be very strong. So if somebody ever came up to them and said, hey, give me your phone number, and they didn't know that person, there would no way give that person that phone number. Mm -hmm. Versus, hey, hey, give me your phone number. You look cute. And that, that person's in need of attention or affection or love, some kind of affection, attention, love or love. Then they're like, yeah, sure, here's here it is. And then they're more susceptible. So it really is about what does it look like for girls to be strong in their mind, in their heart, and who they are. And Andre's talked about that. And it's I think that's a big part of it. It's a huge yeah. part of it. And I think assertive, you know, saying, no way, get out of here. Because I think girls are socialized to be nice. So you don't want to be right. not nice. Polite. Polite. Yeah, I think definitely okaying a girl to use her voice. And, you know, if you're uncomfortable, it's okay to be rude, you know, to tell somebody to leave you alone. I think that's huge because so many young girls are just taught to be polite. You know, you you answer respectfully, you're nice. And sometimes it's okay to be rude. Yeah. You know, especially if you feel like you're in danger. Right. Is there any good news around this? <laughs> <laughs> there, there is there is good news we're always a buzzkill i know <laughs> no there's some you know we we talk about the reality of this but we're starting to see something happening we, we you know there's something in there that's happening that we our goal and our vision from the beginning was that we wouldn't just see this problem constantly increase every year that we wanted that to start decreasing we want to be able to start seeing that line chart that this is how many victims there are. This is how big the problem is. We want to start seeing that decrease. We're working on some things in our organization and some of our partner organizations that we work with. We will start seeing a decrease in this. So there is, you know, people are starting to get tired of just, we call it um, admiring the problem. You know, years back when this started really coming to light, let's say about 10 years ago, it got talked about. But a lot of people just talked about the problem and not a lot of you know, what's really happening to help solve the problem, how there are groups coming together. There are people coming together, understanding the problem, but, let you know, seeing that there's something to be done about it as well. The government's coming on board as well. 
We're not saying that they're the answer to it because this has to be at the ground level. You know, how are we really seeing this happen and how can we help support law enforcement? How can we support the different groups that are engaged? So there are some good things happening and girls are getting recovered and girls are getting a new life because of this as well. Great. So any last advice that you would have for the moms listening? I think my advice is as much as we want to teach our young people to trust your gut, you need to trust yours too. You know, if if all of a sudden your daughter's not acting like herself, you know, she's dressing different, her grades are dropping or something in your gut is telling you that something's not right, look into it. Don't be afraid to ask questions and look into it because there could be something going on. And if the dad's not involved, then the mom needs to nudge the dad to get involved. Because one commonality, and it's a sad commonality and like a reality, is that a majority of these girls that are caught in this don't have a dad looking for them. Mm, Yeah. That's kind of humbling. That'll break your heart. Yeah. So dads have a huge role to play here. Oh, yeah, for sure. And just when it gets hard as you're parenting a daughter, if it gets hard, that doesn't mean you quit. Mm-hmm. You know, often when you get to enter in more. Yeah. Oh, this is a hard conversation, but I think it's really important. And one of the things that y'all have been talking about that I just want to, I completely agree with. And what my work is about is strengthening that attachment between mom, you and your teen or dad and and the teen and to have those relationships where it's okay to say whatever that your kids would feel safe enough to tell you the truth and I think you know listening to y'all is it's not those kids way over there in that other neighborhood it's like your daughter is going to probably be approached by somebody yeah if you let her have the internet I mean it's just all around and so we as parents really need to step up like the Life 360 and what was the other thing you said? Uh, it was Bark. Yeah. Yeah, Bark is a big part of and it. Your, and your kids will like hate you for it, but that's okay. Yeah, they, <laughs> they will. But then there's, you know, when they feel there's at least they're being watched in a little bit of a way, not like over the top, but yeah, there's a sense of like security that you have with that too. That's true. You know? I agree. So if they want to contact y'all, how can they do that? They can find us at guardiangroup.org. There's tons of resources, like Jeff said, on our website, including, you know, the apps we've talked about and the different online safety. And then on social media, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So, okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Hard conversation. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and give Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my best-selling and award-winning book, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, A Guide for Mothers Everywhere, You can find that and order it online at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And you can always find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com, two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.